0: So I want to continue our sermon, Mission 2022, um, our series, because what we want to do is we want to look into the year 2022 as we're starting out. We want to see what does God have for Pole Creek in the year 2022? What is our mission going to be? What are we going to try to achieve this year? I don't believe a church can do anything unless we set goals. We're never going to reach the finish line. We're never going to reach the purpose unless we set goals, unless we put forth a mission. Why are we here and what are we trying to achieve? Today, I want us to ask the question, this is actually the title of my sermon, Who Will Serve? Because today, you have to serve in order for us to reach our goal, in order for us to achieve the mission of our church. Our vision is that we want to be a church that propels our community and world into an encounter with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And everything that we do, not only in 2022 but beyond, we want that to be all that we're about. Everything that we spend our money on, everything that we commit our staff members to, everything that we commit our volunteer workforce to, we want it to be about propelling our community and world into an encounter with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So today my question is for you specifically and individually, who will serve? Who is going to team up with this church? Who is going to become part of this mission as we go into the middle of 2022? So our reading is going to be found in Acts chapter 1. If you want to go ahead and turn there in your Bibles, and we're going to begin in verse 15. Acts chapter 1, verse 15. And what we've been doing in our series Mission 2022 is we are looking at the birth of the first century church. The birth of the New Testament church, the church that you're sitting in today, has a great legacy throughout the centuries of Christ's followers who have been a part of churches just like this one. And did you know that in the first century, in the birth of the New Testament church, they had certain methodologies? certain things they did, certain things that they valued. And I believe that if we can get as close as possible to that first century church that was overseen by the apostles, that we can do great and mighty things for the kingdom of God. So if you will, go ahead and stand to your feet. We're going to read verses 15 through 20 in Acts chapter 1. And we stand because we honor God's word. It is our ultimate authority here at Pole Creek Baptist Church. It doesn't matter what the pastor thinks. It doesn't matter what the Constitution and bylaws say. Ultimately, we stand on the word of God, that is our authority. So beginning in verse 15 of Acts chapter 1, the Bible says this, "...in those days Peter stood up among the brothers and sisters. The number of people who were together was about 120, and said, Brothers and sisters, it was necessary that the Scripture be fulfilled, that the Holy Spirit through the mouth of David foretold about Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus." For he was one of our number and shared in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with his unrighteous wages. He fell headfirst, his body burst open, and his intestines spilled out. This became known to all the residents of Jerusalem, so that in their own language that field is called hakeldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his dwelling become desolate, let no one live in it, and let someone else take his position let's pray dear God we are thankful Jesus for this church Lord we are thankful that many many years ago over a hundred years ago there was a faithful group of people who committed to instituting Pole Creek Baptist Church Lord we are thankful for the community that you have placed us in we are thankful for the neighbors that we have and Lord we are thankful for the ministry that you've given us here in Candler North Carolina Lord I pray Jesus that as we look at the remainder of this year the the, the calling that you have for our church the mission that you have set before us, God, that you would ignite a passion in the hearts of our members so that we will serve God, so that we will partner together in ministry to pierce the darkness with the light of the gospel, that hopelessness, God, will see hope, that lost people will be saved, and that ultimately, God, that you would be glorified in the people of this community. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's three different things that I want us to see here in this event in the first century church. We have the 11 apostles as they are now. Judas has committed suicide. Judas betrayed the Lord Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. The the Sanhedrin paid him the 30 pieces of silver. Judas came to a place where he regretted it. He took the silver and he, he threw it back at him. He said, no, I cannot take this, but the damage had already been done. And Judas, out of his great remorse, went and hanged himself. And here we see an axe that as he hanged himself, the rope broke and he fell onto rocks and burst open. And now I can guarantee you that there's not a person in this church who's ever named your child Judas. Now if you have, I apologize. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I'm just saying most people are not going to use that name. It's a name of absolute uh, embarrassment and shame. It's a cursed, if you will. And I believe that Judas, was sovereignly by God, was was instituted to betray Jesus. We know that Jesus said that he had to come to die. I mean, that's why he died, was for our salvation, and that Judas betrayed him to do that. But now the 11 apostles were here, and they say, listen, there's one missing. We need to replace him. And this is where we come into in this event. We see that the 12th apostle is replaced. Now, the first point that I want us to make this morning as we talk about who is going to serve, which of us are going to serve, which of us are going to commit to the mission of the church is this, everyone is replaceable. So if you're taking notes, hopefully you've picked up one of the sermon notebooks at one of our welcome centers. If you're taking notes, write that down. Everyone is replaceable. You're saying, Ben, I didn't want to hear that this morning. You mean I'm replaceable? I thought I was the only one who could do what I do. Hey, did you know what? Ben is replaceable this morning as your pastor? I'm replaceable. Listen, God does not need me to do his work. God is not relying on Ben to make things happen. Did you know that he doesn't even need me? Listen, God does not need any of us. Did you know that God would be just as much God today as if none of us ever existed? He would be just as much God. See, we as Christians, Bible-believing Christians, we believe in a Christ-centered faith. This is not a self-centered faith. This is not a been-centered faith. And I think as we look at the world and we see the direction the world is going, when you think about uh, the, the, the sexual revolution that we're seeing, where marriage has been completely decimated by our culture, when you think about the fact of critical race theory where people are wanting to divide people based upon their skin pigmentation, when we know that the Bible has never done that, that all people are part of the human race, it doesn't matter what shade of skin you have, you are a child of God in creating His image. When we look at the way The world is acting in the world, the way the world is being. It is a self centered world. Humanism is what that's understood as, and it's human wisdom that they are projecting to us. They're saying, Listen, because we feel like it should be okay for this to happen, it should be okay. And what they're doing is, is they're subverting God. They're saying, listen, God's ways are old-fashioned. God's ways are no good anymore. Hey, you know what? We're so smart as human beings that we're going to come up with our own ideas. And what it is is it's all self-centered. If you notice that everything society is projecting, it is what do I like, what makes me feel good, and what do I receive pleasure from? And that's the way humanism works. So they create a worldview around themselves receiving pleasure. What makes me feel good? What do I like? The Bible teaches something completely opposite, by the way. It teaches that God's truth is the only truth. And as a matter of fact, the only way that a human being can be happy and fulfilled and satisfied is if they have a relationship with their creator. Did you know that you cannot have a fulfilled life without God? The Bible teaches us that God intends for us to have an abundant life. Listen, Christianity is not humdrum and boring. If it is for you, then you're doing it the wrong way. And you need to be reeducated on what it means to be a child of God. Listen, when you become saved and you trust in Jesus, you know what the Bible teaches happens? That you are no longer a slave to your former master. You know who your master was before you got saved? Sin. The Bible teaches us that those who are a slave to sin have to do what sin requires of them. But when you receive Jesus as your Savior, the Bible teaches of freedom, liberty. You know what God does? When the blood of Jesus is applied to your soul, God frees you from your slave master. You no longer have to listen to sin. You no longer have to be a slave to sin, but you get to live in righteousness and joy and peace in an unadulterated relationship with your maker and with your creator. Today, I'm telling you that biblical Christianity is God centered. Therefore, God does not need any of us. Now, I remember back in the day when I worked at Wilson Art, I worked at a plant, a manufacturing facility in Fletcher, North Carolina. And you know how workplaces are. You guys all have them. You've got those people that, listen, I don't care if they just won the lottery, they're mad about something. They're always hating on their boss. They're always hating on their work environment. Talking about, hey, I got to get out of this place. I got to get out. You've been here twenty years and you ain't left yet. You're probably not going anywhere. You know, is what is what you want to tell them. You know, if you hate it so much, go find another job. And they never do. But anyways, I remember a day when there were some people complaining in one of our department meetings, and I'll never forget the words of my supervisor at the time. He told them, he said, well, if you don't like it here, there's the door. You know what he was communicating to them? you're replaceable. Hey, listen, this company does not need you to move forward. This place does not need you to continue to do what it does. Hey, listen, there's people wanting jobs. We'll we'll replace them. Now, today, that may not be as accurate. Back then, people were lined up wanting to work. Nowadays, you may not be able to be as blunt with your employees. So all of you employers probably say amen right there. But it still makes you want to say that, doesn't it? There's the door, buddy. We'll get somebody else in here. Well, did you know that in the kingdom of God, it's very similar? Did you know that there are other people God can use other than us? And what that does is that's not to say that you are not important or that you are not needed or that you are not valuable to this church. But what it is is it's a restructuring of your mindset. It's, it's a reposturing of your view of yourself. Because the Bible teaches that humility is a good attribute to have. The Bible teaches us that the first will be last and the last will be first. If you're looking to get some sort of notoriety for yourself or you're looking to prove to everyone that you're the only one that can do what you do and that you're the best at doing what you do, then what you're doing is you're propping yourself up and you're putting yourself on a pedestal. And the Bible teaches that pride goes before a fall. So if that is your mentality, then I'm telling you right now that if you don't repent of your pride and, re- and, and humble yourself before God, that God will humble you himself. He will take care of humbling you. And I can honestly say that I'm a product of being humbled many times in my life. And I'm thankful for that humility, and I'm thankful for when God humbles me because that's something that I need. Because any time I get out ahead of God or I get out ahead of what I need to be doing, I'm always setting myself up for failure. Because, listen, let's just, let's just admit it, our finite minds can never fully understand what we need as human beings. You know, we think, hey, I know what's best for me. Hey, this is what I need to do, or this is what I need to do. And before you know it, you have messed up. You didn't wait on God. You didn't pray before you move forward. You didn't let God, through His Holy Spirit, guide you into what you need to do. It's time that we as human beings humble ourselves. We believe, as, as Bible-believing Christians, we believe in the complete depravity of mankind. And what that means is, it goes back to Romans chapter 3, where the Bible says, none seek after God. It means that if God never intersected himself into your little life, that you would never have looked for him. It means that if you were left alone, without God's sovereignty in your life, you would never have come to a place where you said, I want God. Because the Bible teaches that none seek after God. There is none righteous, no, not one. Those of you who are saved today, you are saved not because you're smart, not because you were seeking after God, but because he went after you. The Bible teaches us very clearly that no one can be saved unless the Holy Spirit initiates. The Holy Spirit does the convicting. The Holy Spirit does the saving. And once you're saved, guess who keeps you saved? The Holy Spirit. The Bible teaches us that the Holy Spirit is the seal until the day of redemption. In other words, the Holy Spirit saves you and the Holy Spirit keeps you. Guess what? I wasn't good enough to save myself and I'm certainly not good enough to keep myself saved. And I'm thankful that it does not rely on me, that my salvation does not rely on my goodness or my holiness in order to keep me saved. I'm thankful for the grace of God. The grace of God not only saved me, but he's keeping me right here and now to this day. It's important to note that Judas was one of the honored disciples among the twelve. Listen, when Jesus went out to choose the disciples, he had millions upon millions of men he could have chosen. But he chose Judas along with the other eleven. He was honored. He was at a high position. You think about this. Judas has spent all this time with Jesus. Judas had witnessed Jesus' miracles. He served alongside of him. He saw Jesus heal the blind. He saw Jesus heal the lame. He saw Jesus feed the thousands from just a few loaves of bread and fish. But yet even Judas allowed wickedness to consume his soul. Listen, that wasn't Jesus' choice. Judas chose wickedness. Judas chose greed. Judas chose pride. Judas chose 30 pieces of silver over the life of the Son of God. Matthew chapter 27, 1 through 10 give us a really good backstory to kind of how all this played out and what happened with Judas shortly after he betrayed Jesus. It says, "...when daybreak came," beginning in verse 1 of Matthew 27, "...all the chief priests and the elders of the people plotted against Jesus to put him to death." After tying him up, they led him away and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that Jesus had been condemned, was full of remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. He said, I've sinned by betraying innocent blood. What's that to us, they said. See to it yourself. So he threw the silver into the temple and departed. Then he went and hanged himself. The chief priest took the silver and said, It's not permitted to put it into the temple treasury since it's blood money. They conferred together and bought the potter's field with it as a burial place for foreigners. Therefore, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then what was spoken through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. They took the 30 pieces of silver, the price of him whose price was set by the Israelites, and they gave them for the potter's field as the Lord directed me. So now you come to this place where there's only 11 disciples. What's going to happen next? We're at this event in Acts chapter 1 where they're asking the very question. As Peter is standing and preaching to these 120, he said, One of the original has gone out from us. He is no longer with us. Now what are we going to do? You know, I love how Peter immediately refers to the Scripture. If you go back to Acts chapter 1 in verse 20... Peter refers to a prophecy that's found in the book of Psalms. It says this: Let his dwelling become desolate; let no one live in it, and let someone else take his position. You know what? I think we would do very well in times of difficulty to go to the Bible, to refer to Scripture, to go to God's Word, to go to God's truth. Hey, you know what? Doctor Phil—he's on every day. How many people go to Doctor Phil and say, "Man, I, you know, what Doctor Phil say about this?" Or you know what? Oprah Winfrey, man, she's so wise. Oprah, what, what can I learn from you today, Oprah? That's hogwash. That's human wisdom. Remember what I talked about? That's, that's just destruction. When you listen to human wisdom, it's going to destroy you. It's going to lead you down a wrong path, and it's never going to do quite what it says it's going to do. Peter understood that very well, and you know what he said? Let's look at the Scripture. Well, the Scripture teaches that indeed Judas' dwelling became desolate. That field that, that Judas had bought and he hanged himself and he burst, his intestines burst out on the rocks. That was a desolate place known as the Field of Blood. No one would ever live there again. That was one of those accursed places that no one would ever buy. I don't care if you thought that could be the next big Walmart super center. Hey, not even Walmart wanted to touch that place. That's how messed up it was. And then it said, let no one live in it. And then let someone else take his position. So Peter is going by the guidance of the word of God. and He said, you know what? It's time to let someone else take his position. Judas was replaceable, by the way. You say, what? One of the disciples of the Lord Jesus was replaceable? Indeed, he was replaceable. Jesus' work, Jesus' mission, the gospel did not stop because one of the 12 disciples decided to turn their back on the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a sense of humility that brings when we find out we're replaceable. And you say, Ben, I already struggle with self-esteem issues. I don't want you to equate this with your value. Your value is settled by God and there's no one that can minimize the value of your life. What I'm talking about is your understanding of who you are. The understanding that you are the only one who can do certain things. Be careful to understand that it is God's power in you that enables you to do what you do. It is not because you're, you have a, a smarter mind. It is not because you have more wisdom. It is not because of anything that, of that nature. Nothing that you have created within you. Mark 10, 31, as I said before, but many who are first will be last and the last first. Remember, we're all replaceable. The second thing that I want us to look at, if you're taking notes, everyone is replaceable, but some are qualified. Some are qualified. We find that in verses 21 and 22 of Acts chapter 1. The Bible says in verse 21, Therefore, from among the men who have accompanied us during the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us, from among these it is necessary that one become a witness with us of his resurrection." Here we have the qualifications of what it meant to be an apostle. So when you think about the word disciple, a lot of times we think of the original 12. In reality, we're all disciples of Christ because the word disciple actually means a follower of. So if I'm a disciple of Christ, I'm following Jesus, which hopefully that's all of you this morning. Now, apostle is something different. Apostle was a specific office that was specific to the first century church. Apostles were men who were the twelve disciples who had walked with Jesus, saw Jesus, and saw him resurrected. Saw him in the bodily form after he rose from the dead. These were the apostles. Paul was also an apostle. Paul had seen Jesus on the road to Damascus when Jesus saved him miraculously. So here we have the qualifications of an apostle that Peter and the others would go by in order to decide who the replacement would be. So essentially, these are the qualifications. If you go back to verse 21, you see some of the qualifications here. It would have been from among the men who have accompanied us during the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. So in other words, the entire three-year period of Jesus' ministry, this replacement for Judas would have had to have been someone who was with Jesus from the beginning of his ministry to his ascension. Secondly, in verse 22, it gives a little bit more specifics about this time period. This man who replaces Judas will need to have been with us from the beginning, uh, the beginning from the baptism of John, which is Jesus' baptism by John, until the day he was taken up from us, which would have been his ascension. From among these, it is necessary that one become a witness with us of his resurrection. So you have. Several qualifications here. It had to be someone who was with Jesus from his baptism to his ascension. And it had to be someone who saw with their own eyes the resurrected Savior after he rose from the dead. Someone who saw him bodily after his death and his burial. These were the qualifications of someone who would be an apostle who would take the place of Judas. The term qualified means this simply, fitted for a given purpose or competent. There are many of you who are qualified to do certain things. Maybe you've had an education that was specified to a certain uh, uh, category of work or a certain category of academics or something like that. There are many of you who have experience that qualifies you to do certain things. But here were the qualifications of the apostles. Now you might be thinking in your mind, Ben, that couldn't have been that many. Surely there were not that many who was with Jesus from his baptism to his ascension. But I actually, in Scripture, have found in Luke chapter 10, there was a point in time where Jesus sent out 72 disciples. Now these were not the original twelve, but these were men who were called out to go, the Bible says in Luke 10, before Jesus. So everywhere that Jesus would go, these men were to go into those areas first, prepare the people for Jesus' arrival, begin to preach the coming of the kingdom of God, so that when Jesus got there, they were prepared to hear his teaching. All of these men would have qualified as well. They were with Jesus from the baptism until the ascension. They would have been witnesses to the resurrection. Even uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 15 says that there were some 500 people who saw Jesus after his resurrection. So there were several hundred that probably would have qualified here. There were many qualified, but they only needed one. And I think it's important to remember that as we look, as we move forward. I remember at Fruitland when you would go into the library, that sign is still up today. The sign says this God doesn't call the qualified, He qualifies the called. Now, as we are thinking in a self centered culture, many times we think to ourselves, I'm the best. Nobody's as good as I am. Nobody can do that job, even in church life. Nobody can do that job as good as me. I'm qualified. Hey, listen, I've got the experience. I've got the education. Hey, I'm it. You know what God says? Listen, there's a lot of qualified people. Hey, there's a bunch who can do that job, but I'm only going to choose one. I'm only going to call one, and guess what? It may not be the one that everyone thinks I should call. It may not be the one that's the smartest. It may not be the one that's got the most experience. It may not be the one who thinks the most of themselves. I'm going to call whom I choose to call. A prime example of this, if you remember the story of Moses, is when God called Moses to be the mouthpiece of Israel's liberation from Egypt. If you remember, when God called Moses from the burning bush, Moses immediately started throwing out some excuses. Remember that? The first thing Moses questioned God about was, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt in Exodus chapter 3? In other words, God, you got the wrong guy. Hey, I'm not qualified. Who am I? That I should go and do this great work. How many of us have given God excuses before? Listen, God, I don't have what it takes to do what you're calling me to do. Moses, That wasn't enough for Moses. He asked another question Exodus chapter 4, verse 1. What if they don't believe me or listen to what I say? He says, maybe I'm not going to be convincing enough, God. Maybe I'm not the right guy for the job. Exodus chapter 4, verse 10, Moses asks another question. Or actually makes a statement. He said, I have never been eloquent, God. I can't speak to the level in Egyptian to the Pharaoh that I need to in order to convince him to let the children of Israel go. Each time, though, God answered Moses. If you go back later and look at this in Exodus 3 and 4, every time God's response was, Moses, I'll be with you. It's okay, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to give you everything you need to achieve this calling that I've placed in your life. Today, God is calling you to do something. There is not a Christian in the history of Christianity who's been born again that God has not called them to do something. Now, there have been many who have rejected the calling that God has laid on their lives. There have been many who have settled for a whole lot less in their Christian life because they make excuses, because they say, I can't get there, God. I'm not qualified, and I'm not experienced. Hey, listen today. doesn't matter if you're qualified or not. If the God of heaven calls you to do something, he will be with you. He will give you strength to do exactly what he's called you to do. And lastly, I want us to see this. Few are chosen. Few are chosen. Everyone is replaceable. There's some that are qualified, but there's only a few who are actually chosen. We see that in verse 23. Acts chapter 1, verse 23, the Bible says this. So they proposed to Joseph, called Bersabbas, who was also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, You, Lord, know everyone's hearts. Show which of these two you have chosen. To take the place in this apostolic ministry that Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots for them, and the lot fell to Matthias, and he was added to the eleven apostles. Then you're telling me that all these men qualified to be that twelfth apostle. Possibly a couple of hundred. Why in the world did God choose Matthias? Hey, you know what? You remember hearing anything about Matthias until this point in the Bible? Did you know that this is literally the only place in Scripture that Matthias is spoken of? You can look at it. Look look in your index. Matthias is only spoken of in Acts chapter 1. We don't know what his qualifications were. We don't know what family lineage he came from. We don't know much of anything about him. There's speculation in church history about who he was and what he went on to do after this. But scripturally speaking, this is all we have about Matthias was that he evidently fit the qualifications of an apostle, and that was it. He he had been with Jesus, he had seen the resurrection, and that was it. We don't know what his education was. We don't know what his experience was. We don't know how smart he was. We don't know how good of a man he was. All we know was that he was chosen. When you look there, it says that the men of God, the people of God, the men and women who were there that day, prayed to God, and they said, God, you know each person's heart. You know their heart. Now you show us who is to, be, is to replace Judas. When we go on down, we think about this in Luke 10, 1, that there were 72 others who could have fit the bill. But, you know, I think Romans 9 really shows us why God chose Matthias. Romans chapter 9, verse 6, the Bible says this, and I'll read through verse 18. Now it is not as though the word of God has failed, because not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. Neither is it the case that all of Abraham's children are his descendants. On the contrary, the Bible says, Your offspring will be traced through Isaac. That is, it is not the children by physical descent who are God's children, but the children of the promise who are considered to be the offspring. For this is the statement of the promise, At this time I will come, and Sarah will have a son. Now, these are prophecies of Abraham and Sarah having Isaac. Verse 10, And not only that, but Rebekah conceived children through one man, our father Isaac. For though her sons had not been born yet or done anything, good or bad, so that God's purpose according to election might stand, not from works, but from the one who calls. You hear what that saying is? It's saying that even before Rebekah had her child, had Esau, And Isaac. Even before all that happened, God had already made his choice about the one he would use to send his promise through, and it was Isaac. Esau had not even been born yet to do anything wrong, but yet God had already chosen that it would not be Esau that would carry that torch of the lineage that would eventually bring us the Lord Jesus. It says this not from works, but from the one who calls, because Rebekah was told the older will serve the younger. As it is written, I have loved Jacob. But I have hated Esau. say, what? What did Esau do to deserve that? God's selection is just, though, we have to remember. Verse 14, what should we say then? Is there injustice with God? Absolutely not. For he tells Moses, I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Verse 16, this is very important. So then it does not depend on human will or effort but on God who shows mercy. For the scripture tells Pharaoh, I raised you up for this reason, so that I may display my power in you and that my name may be proclaimed in the whole earth. So then he has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, and he hardens whom he wants to harden. You say, Ben, why did did God choose Matthias? Because he chose Matthias. Nothing about Matthias. Nothing that Matthias could offer God Nothing that Matthias could do to better God, to add to what God was already doing, to make God's mission any better. Listen, there was nothing that Matthias could do to make the gospel any sweeter or any more hearable to those who would be listening. It was because God chose Matthias. Matthias, I'm going to use you. Matthias, you may not be the smartest. You may not be as eloquent as Peter. You may not be as wise as John. But you know what? I want you to do the job. I'm choosing you, Matthias. Hey, today, you guys out there, listen to me. You may say, Ben, there's no way I could ever be a missionary. Ben, there's no way that I could ever share the gospel with my loved ones. Hey, you know what you're doing? You're limiting God. You're saying, God, you just can't do it with me. I'm just not good enough. God, you got got the wrong person. And I'm telling you today, if God has chosen you, the only thing left to do... Is for you to rise and say, all right, God, I'll do it. Under your power, I'm going to do it. Hey, you know what? Thank God he still chooses folks to do his ministry. I am thankful that there is the gospel is still being preached today. Hey, you young people, don't settle for less. Don't settle for a mediocre life. Don't even settle for the American dream. You know, Ben, I, just, I want to get the nice cars. I want to get the nice house. I want to have a long career where I can draw a pension one day. Hey, listen, you know what? That's second best. That'll never fulfill you. That will never satisfy you. The only thing that will ever satisfy a soul is to be right with an eternal God. To live in his will. To do miraculous things by his power. And let me tell you what, God is looking for somebody to go. God is asking. God is putting out the call. Who is going to go for us? Who's going to serve? Who's going to share the gospel with unreached people groups in the Middle East? How are those folks in China ever going to hear about Jesus unless somebody from Polk Creek goes and tells them? Hey, you know what? God's calling us today. Only few are chosen. It is an honor when God chooses us. It is an absolute honor. And it is a privilege to go before to do the work of our almighty and wonderful God. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life, and few find it. Today my first question is this, have you entered in at the narrow gate? Have you ever trusted Jesus as your Savior? I don't care if you go to church. I don't care what your upbringing looked like. I don't care the bad things you've done in the past, the good things you've done. I don't care. I'm asking you today, have you ever trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior based upon his death, burial, and resurrection? And if your answer is yes, and I pray that it is, then secondly, I'm asking you this, will you serve? Will you partner with this church? Will you go out into this community and this world to win a lost and dying world to Jesus? Will you seek God's calling in your life? You may, be, you may say, Ben, I don't know what God would want me to do. Start praying about it. Start asking him, God, I know that you have something for me. Now show me. Lord, I don't care what it is. I'll do it. You just show me. And you know what? He'll call you to a great work, and he'll use you mightily. Pursue his calling with everything in your soul. Let's bow our heads this morning.